um, I think we should be outing good teachers because there are lots of good teachers just hidden away doing their thing and we don't hear about it. And that's really sad. We should be hearing what these teachers are doing. And sometimes they don't want to share, which is cool, but I think if we have a platform where people can share and show what they're doing, then it should be, people should be hearing that. Listening to the NZ PE Teacher Cast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing teachers and educators within New Zealand and around the world. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With the ability to track student progress and quiz results, data provided by My Study Series ensures teachers remain informed of how well their students are performing. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. and welcome to NZPE TeacherCast. As you'll be able to tell, we're doing things a little bit differently today. Ko Celia Fleck to Kuingawa, and today it is my privilege to be sitting in the interviewer seat that is normally occupied by the one and only Carl Conliffe, and to be asking him the questions. Carl really doesn't need any introduction, and so in keeping with the recent PENS NZHEA EONS conference theme of past, present and future, um, I thought we could go on a bit of a journey today. So, Carl, tell us about yourself growing up. What did you love to do? Who or what were the big influences in terms of how you spent your time? I um, Sport was really big for me growing up, and I had three sports. I played league when I was really little. My my mum asked, uh, no, my dad asked my mum to take me along to the rugby club, and so mum took me to the league club for some reason, not knowing the difference, and I ended up playing league, which, which was interesting, but dad wanted me to play rugby. Um, and that was league was really physical, so that was my first kind of really foray into sport. And I also did a lot of athletics, um, and I moved on to basketball through through high school. So my parents they influenced me a lot. Um, they they were really supportive, but they didn't really engage in my sport too much. Um, I think when I was at high school, my mum came to watch me um, compete at the track, and she wondered how my spikes worked on the orange concrete. So that she had no idea that it was a rubber track. So that kind of, um, they didn't come along to a lot. They came to some of my basketball, but um, they were really supportive. Um, they just didn't engage much. And they they limited me to a summer and a winter sport, which was which was probably good for me. Um, I, I had my, my winter sport, which ended up being basketball and, and my summer sport, which was track and field. And I, I competed in high jump. Um, and that meant that I could put a lot of effort and a lot of time into those, and, and I got quite good at, at both of them. I had a couple of national titles in high jump, which was which was really big achievements for me, and, and got to become a two meter jumper. But I think early on, was their support, and they're always encouraging me to get better, better. And I was never really, really good at these sports. But one thing I noticed, and we've been doing a bit of work within the school around growth mindset. And when Zico, uh, one of the teachers in my department, he, he hosted a session on it, and I've since read Carolyn Dweck's book on, on growth mindset, I realised that when I was in high school, I had a few, when I started getting good, a lot of people would question 
how I did it and I said I trained a lot and their response to that was an interesting one where they were like oh that doesn't count because it's not natural and mm. I remember thinking to myself going what are you on yeah. you know I've worked really hard to, to achieve this stuff and you know I've had this my parents pushing me um, and I've gotten quite good at what I do how, what, how is that not better than having natural talent yeah and then so that all came you know I, I understood once Zico started talking about that and, and we did these workshops that um, so I had an, an, a growth mindset really early on and, and I, I was prepared to work hard to try to improve um, and that was all just part of um, wanting to um, better myself and having the support of my parents who weren't like I said necessarily engaged but um would provide enough for me that I could do what I wanted to do in terms of sport. Yeah. So you mentioned basketball and league, but then also only been able to choose or play one per season. So at some point, did you have to choose between those two? Yeah, league. League. I started with league, and then I picked up track and field to train for league, and then I got good at track and field. So then I specialised in high jump, and then basketball was to train for high jump, and I dropped the league. So that's kind of how. Yeah. Basketball replaced league. Yeah. All right, so I know something about you that you haven't mentioned, and so good segue. How from league, track and field, basketball, did a Kiwi kid end up in a bobsled team? Yeah, it was a cool story. Um, I've told this to people and they don't believe me, but um, so being a high jumper, I had a good power base, um, and I'd spent so long being a slim athlete. I think when I was jumping, I, was, I weighed 79 kilos, and I'd focused a lot on keeping my weight down because it's worth so many centimetres over the bar and then when I finished that about 2004 2003 I, I finished competing I thought I'd go the opposite way and I just tried to put on a lot of mass a lot of muscle and I ended up getting into bodybuilding and I've competed in that as well and then one day uh, my sister my sister-in-law rang me up and she said there's this talent ID advert in the newspaper you know they want they're looking for big powerful athletes so I thought oh, yeah I'll give it a go nothing to lose it's something new I've always wanted to be an Olympia and that was my, my desire and my dream when I was when I was young so I went along and we had to do these jump tests and a speed test I think it was three jumps and then maybe a 20 metre sprint um, thought nothing of it and got a call a few weeks later um, to say I actually finished quite high up in the, in the standings because they had a multiplier for your weight so I had all of that base power and then a multiplier for my weight I think I weighed about 108 kilos at the time, which was which was pretty heavy, mm. um, and in bobsleigh they want so you have a two hundred kilo sled, and in a four man, I think the limit is six hundred kilos. So you want at the top of the hill, you need that weight. You need all six hundred kilos. So if you don't have it at the top of the hill, you put it in the sled with lead, lead basically lead weight, because that's weight is really valuable at the bottom. Yeah. So if you don't hit that four hundred kilos between four people, you're pushing a heavier sled off the blocks which doesn't help so yeah. you get that multiplier and the talent ID because I was a bigger athlete so I was worth more to the team so that's really what kick started it and um, yeah we, we we did really good I got to compete in, in Switzerland which was which was a choice experience um, we were treated like professional athletes which was cool um, but we didn't quite make it we had a few crashes and investors got scared and dropped funding so just before Vancouver the team was pulled out which was a shame because it would have been a cool experience absolutely mm. and so when you were younger and you dreamt of being an Olympic athlete did you ever have a particular sport in mind it was it was track and field yeah 
But I got to uni and I did an exercise science degree and very, you know, you learned very early that unless you were doping, the likelihood of making it was, was pretty slow. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah, a shame. It is. So what led you to teaching? I tried the fitness industry and didn't, didn't like it. I felt that people weren't really prepared to invest money in their own body to better themselves and keep themselves healthy. You know, they're more than willing to invest lots of money in their car but not their body which didn't really make sense to me and I had done a bit of coaching at the time and it just seemed like a natural transition um, wasn't something I was overly passionate about but I didn't have anything else so I made the jump I actually did it online I did all my study online I lived in the hut Vic Uni was in town I was just too lazy to drive in each morning so we did all this online learning and then I think we had a weekend up at Vic Uni and that was it for one year um, still practicums? Yep, still had your practicums. Yep. But you'd have this online work and I'd just spend all Monday doing it. I'd yep. go from 9am to 9pm completing the week's work and then I had the whole week off. It was it was lots of fun. But yeah, I, I don't remember any of that stuff. You, What you learn is being in front of the kids. Yeah. That's that's where you get all your learning and your experience and make all your mistakes and yeah. learn from that. Absolutely. Um, so those of us who have been to your workshops on gamification have seen the photos of how you've been a gamer. You've been all over the world almost with your gaming. Tell us about your experience as a, ga- as a gamer and how it has influenced some of your teaching practices. I had a few classic game consoles when I was really little. I had a Sega SC3000 and an Atari machine. and they and all my friends had them as well and that we kind of that's what we did when we were really little when we weren't playing sport we, we played video games and then I got to a period maybe intermediate start of high school where it just there wasn't much gaming happening because you know, games were starting to get expensive so it wasn't until I really had some disposable income that I started getting back into it and sort of towards the end of high school and start of uni that I started seeing these opportunities come up and it's when online gaming on consoles sort of was introduced and I'm a bit of an early adopter so I jumped on board that so you know I was just kind of um, the situation those environmental influences where it was it was new and not many people were jumping on board online gaming so I was one of the few people doing that and I had a lot of spare time because I was studying and all that kind of contributed to being um, in a position where they were looking for people to compete um, and the, the competitions were pretty weak to be honest and there weren't many people interested so I was just kind of lucky and um, went to a few competitions I went to one in Auckland that I won and that gained me entry to a final in Queenstown during Winter Festival which was really cool and those core group of gamers at that at that point I think it was about 2001 kind of hung together quite a bit and we entered a lot of the other competitions and then FIFA ran, introduced something called the FIFA Interactive World Cup where they held a world championship and all you had to do was be the top qualifier in your country online. So I would game for seven, eight hours at a time. I'd get home from teaching and um, by four and I'd be on the on the game until 2am, rinse and repeat. Um, so I got to go to Germany, London, Australia a couple of times. Got to take my mum to Australia. It was always all expenses paid. Yeah. Um, so my my partner, who's now my wife, she she got to come to London and Germany, which was which was pretty cool. And they put you up in five star hotels, and you get a stipend, and it was it was pretty cool. It was you know every twelve year old's dream. Yeah. And 
I actually won a trip to, to Amsterdam as well, but I had a choice between the bobsledding or a trip to Amsterdam. And so I chose a bobsledding, which naturally, being a physetta, you would. But I remember at the time, all the, the gaming community were like, what an idiot, what's he... Why wants to go to the Olympics? Yeah, yeah. He's got a trip to Amsterdam, and I'm like, what? Why would you? Why you didn't even have to think about that choice? Because presumably the gaming had monetary rewards. Yes, twenty k first prize yeah. was was the reward. Yeah. Um, so that's why people, I guess, were passionate about that. And so that kind of really shaped my attitude towards technology, and I could see how games and technology engaged me and if we could harness that well in education then there's no reason why we can't have the same benefit in education so very early on you know with the support of my principal we started implementing simple games video games within PE looking at reaction time um, and things like that but then the technology on top of that was really interesting as well. iPhones had come out and you could see the power in different apps. So I was just always looking for new ways to innovate um, with my students with the hope that they would be better engaged in the classroom. And and I think they were. Um, and it was just, that was my passion. So I, I tried to do it as much as possible. Not so much anymore. Uh, I haven't games for a long time. Social games, iPad. <laughs> That's where it's at now. Another aspect of your teaching practice that you present on is flipped learning. So what are the positive outcomes for teachers and learners that you see as a result of using this? The, the big thing for me was flipped learning is the relationships. Um, people get strung up in the content creation. And, and while that's an important component of it, um, the benefits of the flipped classroom really come in your extra face-to-face class time that you have with your students. So you're no longer standing up the front talking and talking. The, the students have had the content. You've, remo- you've removed direction instruction from within the classroom. And the students have digested that outside the classroom. So when you come together, um, you have more face-to-face class time. And not only the student-teacher relationships, which are a byproduct of me not having a chalk and talk, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I'm walking around facilitating and engaging with the students much more than if I'd been in a traditional classroom, but also the student-student relationship. So our, our lessons um, have a lot more collaboration and interaction through group work with one another. Um, and our practical tasks are in more authentic context because we have more time to plan better learning experiences for the students. So that kind of, that's the thing for me, it's, it's the relationships with the students, because that's our, that's our core business. If you have a good relationship with a kid, you can pretty much achieve anything with them in the classroom. Yeah, nice. One of my wonderings about flip learning recently, and, and I don't have a, a huge understanding of it, um, but has been around the, um, the potential time pressures that it puts on students outside of school hours is that an issue no I, I don't think it is but first of all because I don't think flipping is that ingrained yet you know I, I doubt there would be a kid who has their all five or six subjects with teachers flipping their content and then again not every single um, topic is suitable to be flipped so it's going to be periods where they might have a lot of videos to watch and other periods they won't have any and there's certain 
there's ideal time frames for the videos too. I tend to keep mine within five to eight minutes tops if I can. Maybe some a few stretch out to ten minutes. But that's so if they've got some homework for me and it's a flip video, tops fifteen minutes work. They watch a video, they complete a little bit of quiz at the end and um, maybe write some questions, but that's it. And you know, across four or five subjects, I don't think that's too onerous. I don't think it's ever going to get owned. The, the, the hard part is the teacher having to build the content. That's that's the time-consuming part because you've got to plan. If you're making a video, you've got to plan the video. You've got to film it. You've got to edit it. Then you spend all that time creating a much more authentic learning experience in the classroom after the video. So the teachers are the, one, are the ones that are bearing the, the brunt of the impact, yeah. I think. But, as you said, winning out in terms of that relationships. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, in terms of the NZP teacher cast, what do you love about doing those interviews and what have been some of the highlights? Uh, I, I like, I think it's really important that we are always trying to network and we, I think we're going to talk about that soon. Um, I think we should be outing good teachers because there are lots of good teachers just hidden away and doing their thing and we don't hear about it. And that's really sad. We should be hearing what these teachers are doing. And sometimes they don't want to share, which is cool, but I think if we have a platform where people can share and show what they're doing, then it should be, people should be hearing that, which is cool. So that's another thing that I like. And I like, you know, learning is a big thing for me. And other teachers have so much to offer. And if I can learn something from them, then it makes the whole the whole experience worthwhile. Some of the highlights, um, uh, some some good ones. I think the one on Sport Ed, um, with Andrew Andrew O'Neill from Middleton Grange. I mm. think that that was our most popular, and that was we <laughs> we were sitting in a pub drinking beer doing that one, which was really cool, nice relaxed um, atmosphere. And and Andrew has a lot of really cool ideas around engaging his students within that Sport Ed model. And we had a lot of interest from all around the world around finding the resources that he was using with his approach. Um, so that, that was a big highlight. I think also another highlight was me realising that um, people don't really want to hear from me. They want to hear from other people. <laughs> and, you know, I don't, I, I don't know what I'm doing in terms of this whole podcast stuff. It was just on a bit of a whim. And people, who was the first person I interviewed? Was it Matt? I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember. But I interviewed someone, and then all of a sudden people were asking questions, and I thought, that's it, no, you know. Yeah. I had planned to maybe do once a fortnight was me talking and rambling, and then once a fortnight was um, I'd interview somebody else. So I decided then it had to be all interviewing other people. That's that's the value I could give to the community. And then, um, yeah, and I guess now, moving away from just PE teachers to um, looking at all learning areas because an English teacher can learn from a visitor and vice versa and we've all got something to offer you know yeah I'm really looking forward to that aspect and and moving forward in that regard um I think it's exciting like you said we've got so much to learn from each other um but yeah I guess um you know I want to thank you and perhaps on behalf of a lot of people thank you for the stories that you've 
told or that you've allowed people to tell in terms of on this NZP teach cast and so much that we've learned from listening to those stories. Give, give me feedback because like I said I don't really know what I'm doing I just come up with 10 questions and pose them to the guests so well, any, any advice will, will, will be I'd awesome. I'd say it's all working so far. Um, so then another of your big projects has been my study series. What led you to putting this together? Yeah this has been this has been a bit of a I've spent a lot of time, probably close to 1,200 hours on this in the last 12 months, which has been one hell of an experience. And I've been a big advocate for flip learning. You know, I've travelled around the world to speak on it. Um, and I, I see the benefit firsthand all the time from it. But the common response from teachers that I advocate this approach was, well, I don't have time to make the content. And I'd hear it over and over again. And despite all the benefits that you'd explain and the pictures that I could paint for them, they still came back to that content being the sticky point. Um, so I just thought, hell, I'll just make the content for them and see what happens. And I thought I would make these videos and you know, you go through that, you're putting yourself out there. Um, I teach things a certain way. Other people might not like it, mm. whatever. Um, exposing myself I'm asking for money for this stuff and that's that's kind of scary um, but teachers started picking it up and it got more popular and I think now we've got about I think we hit 400 classes this week on it from over 70 schools about 6,000 students um, which is that's quite for me that's um, it's kind of empowering you know here at school I can influence maybe 80 to 100 teachers uh, students sorry a week but I can have this I can have impact within our learning area across the whole country and that's kind of cool um, but it, it has it has been a, a challenge um, you know people it, it's tough you know I'm selling a commercial product to my peers mm. and I don't like that aspect of it um, but we'll see we've got some some cool things um, in, in the in the works or some big announcements coming soon which will be so it's growing and it's and it's it's getting popular, but it's been a lot of hard work and I spend a lot of time dealing with some of the issues that running a business mm. has. But good learning experience. Yeah. Lots of what you do is about helping to connect physical educators and I know that you believe really strongly in this and that also you think in New Zealand we could be doing this a heck of a lot better. So what would be some key enablers to achieving this? I think teachers need to be more willing to seek support and knowledge from outside their whatever their tribe might look like you know your department or your school I think we need to be prepared to step out of our comfort zone and be prepared to fail and seek help from others and learn from those failures and then come back from that and, and, and kind of um, kick ass from all the stuff that you've learned um, I think we could be recognising more great teachers um, we, we definitely don't reward good teaching enough and even you know at Penn's conference there, there are a few awards that are given out but a lot of those tend to be for a lot of people in the past we honour people that have done really well in the past but I don't think there's enough acknowledgement and recognition for people in the present that are doing well and our young teachers are doing well and we need to be able to show them that we appreciate what they do and keep them motivated because it's a tough industry and we're losing teachers and I think if we could reward or acknowledge 
the good teaching more, then we might keep more people in the profession. And, you know, I, I presented in Tasmania a couple of years ago, and it was a state conference, so it was like the Wellington Pens Conference, if there was such a thing. And it was two days, and we went to the dinner. Now, they gave away, must have given away $60,000 worth of gear. They were acknowledging teachers left, right, and centre, throwing them iPads, big screen TVs, all of these resources, and they thought nothing of it because they were investing in their teachers. And I'm not saying that's what we need to do, but they understood, they obviously understood that if you recognise and acknowledge the good teaching, then maybe we would attract more good teachers and maybe we'd get teachers in the profession for longer. Um, So I think, yeah, it all comes back to being prepared to fail and step out of your comfort zone, but then also acknowledging the good things that happen in education. I don't know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, it's interesting because you alluded to it earlier in the podcast around that um, people being prepared to put themselves forward and tell their stories. And I think, you know, New Zealand, we do have this tall poppy culture, don't we? And so um, even those awards like Pens that do acknowledge the present I know that very few nominations are put forward for those and that that's a bit of a shame I think for whatever reason people aren't putting themselves forward or putting others forward so it, yeah we it would be nice to see a a better culture developed around acknowledging the great stuff that people are doing so yeah I've yeah. got a few ideas and I'm going to speak to no approach Richard shortly about an idea and I think I've mentioned something to you about um, how in PE we can maybe do some more acknowledgement of people that are engaged in a good practice um, so I'll tell you more about space. that later. watch the space <laughs> uh, you've had opportunity to connect with PE teachers internationally and soon are heading to the Connected PE conference in Dubai What can New Zealand physical educators learn from their international colleagues and what can they learn from us? I don't know what what other teachers, um, what other New Zealand physical educators could learn really because I think it's, um, it all comes back to what you desire to be learning. So for me, going over there and engaging with all of these teachers from around the world and networking and what I do, for me it's all about culture and I'm really interested about what drives other teachers, what makes them want to be successful, why they teach, what their values are, you know, what their ambitions for their students are and how that is visible in their approach to teaching, um, what their whole order comprises of, what makes them them, you know, that's kind of what I'm interested in. Um, I think as uh, as maybe New Zealand physical educators, we it's like what I mentioned before about being able to learn from English teachers and being able to learn from science teachers to help our practice. We can learn in the same essence from what a teacher in America, how they approach PE, despite being completely different to what we do here. We can learn from Australian educators around some of the... Um, the indigenous issues that they face in Australia and, and you know, blend what we do and, and look at how that impacts us. Um, so really just being accepting of, of other cultures and wanting to learn and see how that, how that shapes their teaching and how we can take bits and pieces from their curriculums and their approaches and maybe implement them in New Zealand. 
like a global approach to PQ. I don't know. That was a tough question. Mm. That was all I could come up for that one. <laughs> it's um, it's interesting, like listening to how often you talk about learning, and that obviously is just something for you that's just part of part of you and part of your values is that ongoing learning. Because earlier when you were talking about um, I forget when it was actually, but it made me think about again that creating that culture of that willingness to keep learning and that growth mindset so that teachers, departments, schools don't think of um, professional development as something that um, is only for people who have things that need to be fixed. Yeah. But, you know, so it's not thinking about I'm not doing things. It's not that I'm doing things wrong, it's that I can always be looking at ways of improvement and ways I can be doing things better. Yeah. And it's like, how do we create that culture everywhere? And I'm not sure what the answer no, is. No, and, and for some people that's that's not a value. Um, and those people are happy to go home from work and sit on the couch and watch TV, and that's, that's, that's cool, that's their thing. My thing is I go home and I try to learn mm-hmm. something new. And that's, I haven't always been like that. And even at the start of my teaching career, I wasn't like that. But um, when you start seeing, again, good teaching practice and you see these teachers doing these cool things, you're like, oh, how do they do that? And I, if I could use that in my class, I can have a positive impact on my students. So you learn a little bit about that. Mm. What do you think are going to be the big game changes for physical educators over the next 10 years? And alongside that, do you think that there are any non-negotiables for physical educators that they must always hold on to for the sake of their learners and physical education itself. Now, I think we've got a pretty scary future for PE anyway. I think the technology is just going to um, get massive in society. There's going to be more screen time. We're going to have a more sedentary population and, and that's going to cost us. It's definitely going to cost us. Um, but in saying that, I'm very pro-screen. I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old and I put very few restrictions on their screen time because I think in 10, 20 years' time, everything they do is going to be done on a screen and people might disagree with that, but um, I've seen how the screens for them have had a positive impact on their learning, which has been... um, I I never thought I'd have this attitude towards it, um, but I do, but it's all all in balance, moderation. Mm. You know, I don't let my kids sit there for the whole day watching YouTube which I'm sure if I let them they would but you know we've got them out in the backyard and we take them down the beach you know so it's yeah it's finding a balance but it is going to be interesting um, seeing what the future holds I think we're going to be really data driven I think technology um, the advancements in technology we're going to see more uptake of wearables um, and how the data from those wearables is going to drive some of the information and data around PE, life tracking. Have you heard of life tracking? No. So life tracking is you can track track everything. People people track every single aspect of their life. You know how long they sleep, what they eat. You know those are yeah. the staples. But then um, how much urine they pass, um, the books they read, when they've read them, um, like in, anything you think of, mm. their weight, whatever. You know I'm only touching the surface, but what what that allows people to do is to see and determine 
what behaviours, what their behaviours have, how they've influenced other aspects of their life, which I think is really interesting. And I'd love, um, I made a note, I'd love for um, someone in scholarship, scholarship student, to do some life tracking for 12 months and base their whole scholarship project on maybe how certain behaviours that we might not have considered has shaped their how physical how that's influenced their physical yeah. activity levels or something like that. Yeah. Like I can I can open up an app now on my phone that will tell me the things I did the day before where I had my best sleep. So if I have a pattern of that over time, I can go back and say, Oh, I went for a run that day and I mm. slept really well and that's happened eighty nine days of the year. So that has a definitive positive impact on my sleep patterns which mm. is going to make me function better the next day so that's only going to get bigger and bigger um, so I think that is we're going to see a lot of that over the next 10 to 20 years I think if our non-negotiables have to be those relationships um, I had a, I had a few people when I launched my study series say oh you're trying to automate PE and you're trying to take us away from the classroom and mm. face-to-face classroom time but it's the complete opposite yeah. it's allowing us to have more face-to-face time with our students because we can never lose our relationships. So and alongside that, the movement and allowing us to have more movement yep. during that contact time with yep. our... Yeah. Yep. What about um, like virtual reality, augmented reality? Thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's going to... It'll come. I saw a call app the other day um, where it was augmented reality, a measuring app, and you held your phone and you pushed start on the screen where you wanted to begin the measurement and you drag it out and a virtual ruler would appear. I thought that was really cool. That's mm. clever. Um, I don't know what that, what could that look like? Maybe, maybe in 30 years time, maybe the best teacher in New Zealand is the only teacher in New Zealand and that person teaches in an augmented state or a virtual state and you know, 100,000, 200,000 students plug into that each day and we learn from that one person because they're the best teacher, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty scary. Yeah, that is. But, you know, you, you see... What happens to relationships then? Yeah, they, they cease to exist mm. and a whole lot of people don't have jobs. Yeah. So where to next for you? I don't know. It's been, it's been an interesting 12 months. Um, and, and my stand or my, my why... And life is, is based around three core values and you've already picked up on one of them but the first is my family and I've got a lovely wife and I've got two amazing kids and as they grow and get older they're becoming more and more a priority for me um, as it should be and I'm sure it is for a lot of teachers mm-hmm. um, my and my physical well-being is, is the next most important thing to me you know I spend a lot of time training and trying to keep fit because that's something that I value and I think in the future, you know, as we as we become more sedentary, which we will, um, I think being in good shape is going to put you in a position where it's much easier to be successful than somebody who's not in good shape, as sad as that is, because an unfit person has as much to offer as a fit person, but I think the way we're going... Um, successful in what regard? How do you use the idea of success? Could be used in... I mean, like we, when I say, like I think you're going to get more opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to start, you know, looking. We already do. We look down on 
people who don't fit the norm for society. Yeah. Um, but I think that's just going to get exaggerated even more. I don't know, maybe we'll all get fat and lazy from technology and if you're fit you'll like miss out on all the opportunities I don't know but I think we you know we we put all these people um, we we isolate these people because they don't fit society's norms and I think that's just going to get worse and worse so that's not why I want to be fit obviously but it's something that it's my downtime it's I unplug I get away and that helps me feel refreshed and the third thing is lifelong learning you know that's that is my third value, my third stand, why I am me. And it's a, it's, um, a massive part of my life. In the last 12 months, I've done more learning than I have in the last 12 years. And that's been um, hugely beneficial for me. But as, you know, all of these things happen and my family gets more important and teaching gets harder and harder and more consuming, um, I, I wonder if... You know, when I have that stand, I have those three values, and they they have to dictate every decision I make in life because that's that's my why. Mm. Um, so I, I really don't know. I don't want to get away from teaching, but that's that's a possibility because it is hard to teach and have family time. You know, we've got a coach, um, we've got to mark, we've got admin work to do. Um, you know, I had aspirations to be a senior manager but you know I, I did a couple of weeks acting last year and there's no way I'm, I want to buy into that now you know I want to be able to influence um, education and, and have an impact um, so what that looks like whether that's me teaching or some other role mm. I don't know but yeah it all comes back to those three core values for yeah. me and finding something that allows me to do all three of them yeah mm. I can do that now teaching allows me to do that but I think it's getting harder and harder and as your kids get older and they demand more of your time and your energy yeah I don't know how some people do it I've got a few friends with four kids how do you do that no I don't know either no idea <laughs> yeah so the future for me I don't know what it's going to hold but it's going to be exciting that's for sure absolutely well, thank you for allowing me to ask the questions of you today for all that you've contributed so far to the health and PE community, to the education community, and, yeah, really look forward to seeing where things take you next. Well, thank you, and thanks for coming up with this idea because um, yeah, it's nice to have the tables turned a little bit. So thanks for the questions and coming up with them. You're welcome.